First, though, let's focus in on Ukraine, where the capital, Kiev, has come under missile attack at the same time that a delegation of African leaders arrived in the country to discuss ways to end the war with Russia. They traveled to Kiev this morning by train from Warsaw. Led by South African President Cyril Ramaphosa, the delegation also includes leaders from Senegal, Zambia, the Comoros and Egypt. All this morning, they went to the site of the mass grave in the town of Bucha, which lies just outside of Kiev. 40, 458 people are buried there who were killed at the start of the war. After the talks, President Zelensky held a news conference with the African leaders. Let's take a listen. Russia is the only source of war and the only reason why the consequences of this war are causing damage to the whole world. Nobody can feel that their borders are protected and the safety of their people are ensured while Russia is attempting to make uh, the aggression and the abduction of uh, people as uh, something that is normal. We are here to listen, to listen both to President Zelensky and tomorrow we'll be listening to President Putin. And we do so with deep respect for the people of Ukraine, which we have expressed to President Zelensky. And we argue that there must be de-escalation on both sides so that peace can find a way to resolve the problem. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa speaking there. Well, after their meeting with President Zelensky, the delegation is now going to head to Moscow to meet with President Vladimir Putin, who today delivered a speech at Russia's showcase St. Petersburg International Economic Forum. As well as claiming the Russian economy is thriving despite sanctions, he also announced that Russia's stationed its first batch of tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus. The Russian leader also talked down Ukraine's counteroffensive and he warned NATO to be careful about the weapons it supplies to Ukraine. Leopard tanks are burning. F-16s will burn in the same way. I have no doubts. But if they're used outside of Ukraine's borders to be used in combat, we will have to look at how and where we are going to target the weapons that are going to be used against us in the battlefield. There is a very serious threat that NATO is going to be involved in this military conflict. So plenty of confidence there from President Putin. Despite that, though, new evidence has shed light on the true scale of casualties suffered by Russia in this war. A BBC investigation suggests at least 25,000 Russian soldiers have been killed in Ukraine. That's four times higher than the figure acknowledged by Moscow. The research also suggests that many of the casualties are now older fighters, with little or no training, and significant numbers have been recruited from prisons. Our correspondent Olga Ivshina has this special report. These are the war graves Russia doesn't want to talk about. Since December, the BBC has located seven new cemeteries dotted across Russia and occupied Ukraine. They're filled with the graves of poorly trained fighters. Many were prisoners recruited by the notorious Wagner mercenary group. And the cemeteries are growing rapidly. This one is about 20 times bigger than it was six months ago. 
Since the start of the war, we have been verifying photos of graves and social media posts with the independent Russian website Mediazona and volunteers inside the country. So far, we have identified 25,000 names. This is four times more than Russia has acknowledged. It's illegal to report anything but the official death toll inside Russia. So we have come to Kyrgyzstan to speak to the families of fighters who have died. Hundreds of people from countries like this that were once part of the Soviet Union have signed up to join Putin's forces. Filming TikToks on the way to war, 21-year-old paratrooper Sergakbek is typical of those who died at the start of the conflict. A young, highly trained professional soldier in the Russian army. He always wanted to be the first. I think that's why he decided to join the military. And there he was also given the choice, apparently. He chose to be there. Go to war, you mean? Yes, yes. As a professional soldier, he was buried with full military honours after he was killed in action in May 2022. But six months later, in a nearby village, there was no military funeral for another fighter, Ayan even though he also died on the front line. That's because he wasn't a professional soldier, but a prisoner serving a seven-year sentence for assault. He had signed up to fight for the mercenary group Wagner, hoping to win his freedom in return for a six-month contract. A man called and told me that my son died fighting in Ukraine. I was shocked. I asked, how come my son is even at the war? Did my son die for nothing? Am I going to cry until the end of my life? The deaths of Sirgakbek and Ayan show how Russia's war has changed. In the first three months of the conflict, it lost large numbers of professional soldiers. But in the past three months, it's non-professional fighters who have recently joined the Russian forces that are dying in greater numbers. The shift in demographics and Russian losses reflects not only the fact that the Russians lost a large number of their professional troops early in the war, but also the fact that they've shifted their tactics. They now see their professional soldiers as a resource that is to be held in reserve and only used when the conditions are right. Now they are letting the brunt of that reconnaissance offensive activity being led by mobilized troops that they treat in quite a disposable way. Only publicly reported deaths are captured by our account. Estimates from Britain's Ministry of Defence suggest the true figure is likely to be at least twice as high. The BBC contacted the Russian government for comment, but it has not responded. And every day, the messages and photos of graves keep coming. So that report from Olga Ivshina. Let's uh, talk about some of the issues raised in that report. Joining us now is James Nixie director of the Russia-Eurasia program at Chatham House, and Francis Scar, who watches and analyzes Russian state TV for BBC Monitoring. Thanks to you both for joining us. There's quite a lot to get through. Uh, let's start, uh, James, if we can, with the significance of this number that the BBC has uncovered, 25,000 uh, in terms of uh, soldiers who've died. Obviously, Russia has given a much lower figure. We had a much higher figure from the uh, UK government previously. Just talk to us about why states don't necessarily tell the truth about uh, numbers killed in war. Well, yes, we're talking about numbers killed in the current counteroffensive, of course, and um, more to a point, though, Russia's uh, death figures are classified information. So we really are not allowed to know what the true figure is. Um, I think it's a relatively good rule of thumb 
that when President Putin, in a meeting to uh, Russian military bloggers a couple of days ago, said that the losses were 10 to 1 in Russia's favor, that is, 10, for every 10 Ukrainians killed, one Russian was, but in fact you can almost reverse that, by which I mean uh, you never really um, believe anything until the Kremlin denies it, uh, uh, is a good rule of thumb. So uh, we don't know the precise figures, but quite clearly Ukraine has made significant inroads at three or four places along the front line. Um, beyond that, um, you know, if you're looking to a future in any sense, then I think it will continue to take territory. But whether it can achieve a, a land bridge to Crimea and, and the casualties it will take in doing so, I think is highly questionable. And Francis, we saw there in Olga's report that many families had absolutely no idea that uh, their relatives had died. Some of them didn't even know that their relatives were at war. How is this uh, being talked about, if at all, on Russian state TV? Well, you're right to ask if at all, because it's really a topic that's completely off limits um, on Russian state TV, where the narratives are very much uh, strictly dictated by the Kremlin. I mean, the the only overall figure we have of Russian losses from the from the Russian Defense Ministry comes from the very beginning of the war, about a month in, just a few thousand. And since then, um, just rare cases of reports of deaths in Ukraine have appeared in local Russian media, local newspapers and websites and on social media, which is where um, the likes of Olga and media zone of this independent Russian uh, website have been able to piece them together and come to this larger figure. But um, also, as Olga pointed out, if you talk about Russian losses, you're potentially uh, putting yourself at risk in Russia of being sentenced and put in jail for, quote unquote, discrediting the Russian armed forces or also, quote unquote, spreading fake news about the Russian army, which is why uh, something, um, something um, of, of this kind, this kind of discussion is, is simply not happening in Russia because of the fear of, of the consequences it entails. And James, if we can look at uh, some of President Putin's uh, comments today at uh, this economic forum he was at, he said Ukraine will soon run out of its own military equipment, will be totally reliant on hardware from the West. He warned NATO about continuing to arm Ukraine. Uh, but also we got that line that the first batch of tactical nuclear weapons has been deployed to Belarus. I mean, that's, you know, a warning and some significant action coming in the same day. Well, first of all, if on the, on the question of uh, Western armaments coming into Ukraine, then if we don't know precisely what is going into Ukraine, then I'm, I'm quite certain that President Putin doesn't. So again, there's a great deal of, of bluster here. As far as the moving of nu nuclear weapons uh, from Russia to, to Belarus is concerned, then we've known about this for some time. It's been pre-warned for some time, so it should come as no surprise to anybody. But I think we should remember that nuclear use by Russia... It, 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 it causes more problems than it solves. Uh, the Chinese uh, would would drop their contingent support for Russia, and quite frankly, it it's, it wouldn't really achieve any any battlefield success. And it would certainly um, lose lose Russia what what global support what what little global support it it actually. So why has. so why do this at all? Because it show, it's to show, well, per, because its bark is worse than its bite is what I'm really trying to say. So obviously, it is designed to deter the West from inserting itself into the Ukrainian battlefield any more than it is already. Um, and that actually is a, is, a, uh, is a method that has achieved a great deal of success in the past and during this war. So it is a well-known um, 
uh, tactic from the Russian playbook. And Francis, just as we see the tenor of this war change, of course, now we're hearing about this counteroffensive uh, from Ukraine. Uh, we're hearing about the, Rus the losses that uh, Russia has sustained and seeing the change in, in profile. There were a lot of professional soldiers dying in the beginning of the war. Now we're seeing more civilians, uh, more volunteers, more Wagner uh, mercenaries. Uh, just talk to us about how uh, Russia is adapting its deployment strategy based on what's happening in Ukraine, Francis. Well, I think uh, what we're now seeing is that Ukraine is, is you know, going on the offensive and really Russia is digging in. We've seen over the last few months these, these um, really quite uh, enormous defensive lines developing across southern and eastern Ukraine that have been captured by, by satellite imagery. Um, and really now, I think it's a matter of waiting to see uh, what Ukraine does and how Russia is able to respond to this. And... I think the changes have come more on the Ukrainian side than the Russian side, frankly, because so many troops have been trained in, in Western nations, and we're now seeing the introduction of Western military hardware, armoured vehicles and tanks, and that's really changing the complexion of, of the conflict. On the Russian side, we've just seen this very static, um, attritional battle for this small town in eastern Ukraine, Bakhmut, uh, and now that the Russians have managed to seize that by effectively wiping it from the face of the earth, um, it's now a question of, of hunkering down for them, I think, and trying to, to limit the Ukrainian advances. All right, we'll have to leave it there, but thank you very much to you both. Uh, James Nixie uh, from Chatham House and Francis Scar from BBC Monitoring. Good to have you.